Hi there. Welcome to Raising Me. This is a podcast where we take the parenting challenges that we face every day right to the experts for advice. I'm Adrienne Stein, and today we are talking about what the online world is really like for our teens. And this is coming with some hard data that is really eye-opening data. Normally, we talk about the takeaways from an episode at the end, but today there's one that really just felt like a good theme, and it's a quote from our guest who says, We are the first generation of parents parenting in a world like this, and we have got to figure it out together. It is so true, and it is in part what we are doing here today. Our guest today is Titania Jordan. She is Chief Parenting Officer with Bark Technologies, and that's a company that provides online monitoring tools for parents. She's also an author of a book called Parenting in a Tech World, a Handbook for Raising Kids in the Digital Age. She's also a mom who, even with all her knowledge and all her experience in this field, is still struggling to figure it out with her team, just like the rest of us. So Bark has this new report that basically scrubs all the alerts sent to parents, whether it's about bullying or depression, anxiety, disordered eating, and then they compile that information into an annual report. The good news here, this is not all doom and gloom. There are some positive trends, though it's not across the board. So we're gonna talk about some of the things we should be watching out for. Plus, there is an app I had no clue about and I'm so glad I do now. Titania, I am so grateful you are are with us today because we have a lot of things to get through with this new report. But let's just start first with being parents of teenagers who are in the social media realm. I've mentioned I have a 16-year-old. This is a, a constant struggle, and you're going through it right now, too. Right there with you. I feel like my career at Bark has prepared me not fully though, for raising my son. You know, I've been with the company for close to eight years now and he's going to be 15 soon. And it's, it's, too, it's a little too real, if you know what I mean. <laughs> we were uh, unfortunately um, in a perfect storm of unfortunate factors. He's an only child. So my husband and I have an extra desire for him to connect with peers, right? Because he doesn't have siblings. Also, going through COVID, going through the pandemic, it started for him in fifth grade. And even before his school and the world shut down, there were a lot of children in his class that had smartphones and social media already before you know the company's terms of service specified they could even have them, right? And so we want him to connect with his friends. He's isolated. And we thought, well, you know, knowing what I know about social and using Bark, we can, you know, try this out. And it was not a good choice. Really? Just out of curiosity, what has been the most surprising thing for you when it came to, you know, moving into the social space with your teenager? How mean kids can be to oh, each other. Yeah. Just cruel. Um, mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for Bark because I got alerted to things that were being said and shared and terrible memes that were being circulated using not only his likeness, but my likeness. Don't get me started on that. Uh, um, What? Yeah. But to, to just know that these children, they're children, Mm -hmm. they're children. 
And good kids make bad choices, but the bad choices that they are making have lifelong consequences on mental and physical health. You're flabbergasted. You're like, I cannot believe children speak like this to each other. And I can't believe that the children who are watching this go down are not standing up for what's right. You know, I think too, just there's such an inherent change back in the, you know, I hate to do back in my day, but really back when we were growing up, those words were said aloud. It was, you know, somebody said mean things to you or called you a name and it disappeared into the air. Now it's written. You can keep going back to it. It's in your inbox. It's on a social post. It's in a text message. So there's that portion of it. There was also where at three o'clock we went home and we could at least be in the safety and the comfort of our own home without worrying about getting a nasty inbox message or text message. It, it was kind of usually isolated in, in the school day hours. And not only that, but you, when you said three, three o'clock, my first thought went to 3 a.m. Because again, at 3 a.m. back in the 80s and 90s, we were sleeping. And if we couldn't sleep, we maybe were watching television in the living room, right? Now at 3 a.m., children are they're not sleeping. They're gaming. They're on social. And your body needs sleep, again, for that most fulfilling physical and mental health the next day. So there's, there's a lot of problems, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't just the bullying, um, again, back to that perfect storm of, you know, what, what world events were taking place in 2020, when I decided to let my child have social, the misinformation that was being spread, political unrest, racial unrest, uh, medical misinformation. There's a lot, we still don't know about that time. Right. And all of that going straight to my child without my parental funnel just the, the worst, worst choice ever. I just keep getting the chills at all these things that you're saying, right? Like we had a filter usually. There is no filter, so to speak. I mean, there are different things that we can do as parents. Obviously, we're going to talk about that, but they have access to so much. I mean, even searching for a video game element on YouTube, you ever see what comes up in the side? of the panel that you, you didn't even look for? Yeah. And that's, uh, again, algorithms. Yeah. Um, algorithms, whether they're on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or fill in the blank. You know, a recent study just came out from Harvard last week that the top six social media companies generated over $11 billion off of minors in this country last year. So they are not incentivized to make their platforms <laughs> less addictive. Uh, and and then our children are bearing the brunt of that. Yeah, I mean, and it's addictive for adults. So you mix in uh, a developing brain who also doesn't necessarily have the context of life and know like, boy, I should not be spending my time like this. Yeah, and, and the comparison trap of looking at everybody's filtered, acne-free, cellulite-free, six-pack bodies, uh, you know, with white teeth and tans. It's not realistic and it's so damaging for developing brains and bodies. And the list goes on and on and on and on of how social media harms not only children, but adults who are not fully educated and empowered as to the nuances of it. Tech is a tool. It's neither good nor bad, but how it's used and how it's consumed uh, leaves a lot left to discuss. 
And it's just an endless cycle mm-hmm. too. Like you, you don't come to the end of your Cosmo magazine. It just keeps going when you're scrolling through Instagram or TikTok. When we're flipping through a magazine, you know, back in high school or whatever it was, like there's a last page. Right. There is no last page when it comes to this. Wow. That's, that's a soundbite. Like we need to, that's be a graphic on social. Like that's very powerful point. And it's true. Like when you think about it, I want to talk a little bit about some of these findings because we do know as parents what it's like, but this puts some hard data to it. And I have the report right here, utilizing the data that you're collecting. You looked at 5.6 billion activities. Yes that kids have been doing on their phone and came up with this data. And before we go into the negative, because look, I mean, we can go into an endless loop of negative aspects Mm -hmm. of social media, but you did find one positive trend that I think is worth highlighting. Yes. So thankfully we are coming out of pretty dark few years And serious issues like depression and suicidal ideation and bullying are actually on a downward trajectory year over year, which is so encouraging to see. In fact, the only alert type that showed a negative trajectory was disordered eating related content. If we're going to pay attention to anything, you know, as a society this coming year, we really need to laser focus on that because it's getting worse for children on on social and not better. Are there any apps in particular that when it comes to, say, disordered eating are potentially worse than others for kids? Yes. I'm so glad you asked. You know, not only does our report cover the rate at which children experience all kinds of issues uh, online, problematic content and problematic people, but we also analyze the top apps that we flagged for these sort of pieces of content for body image concerns. The number one most problematic app for that was Instagram, followed by Snapchat, Kick, Reddit, and then TikTok. So I bet a lot of parents listening have never even spent time on Kick, much less Snapchat. What is Kick? I have to admit I have I've never heard of that one. Yeah. Kick is a messaging app, essentially. It has internal apps. It really started kind of like a really a place for sexually uh, charged communications um, due to the ability for it to be uh, more encrypted, more private. And you could actually turn on video and live stream yourself uh, with somebody else, uh, much like FaceTime without it being detected. So if I had to attach a brand to kick, it would be private sexual content. Okay. I'm picking my jaw off the floor. All right. Did you break that down by age just out of curiosity? We did not, but I'm actually going to make a note to see if we can add that um, as an addendum to the data. Holy cow. You know, and sort of moving into that, the sexual content part of this report, I thought it was eye-opening. You had this stat from Common Sense Media that 15% of teenagers saw a pornographic image of some sort online. Before age 11? Yeah. What? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's from one study, right? I mean, the rate at which children are experiencing uh, sexual content online is much higher than any parent might imagine. You know, 58% of tweens, 75% of teens 
are, are encountering sexual content and anything from, you know, web searches to actual explicit content to a child receiving nude photos, you know, it runs the gamut. What as parents should we be looking out for? Part of it is you also, I struggle with the privacy part. Yes. I don't want to be all up in her business because you have to be able to trust your child. However, um, this is a new space. She is 16 years old and I'm not necessarily worried about her. It's the other guy. Yes. Whoever that other guy or gal is. So how do we navigate that sort of fine line there? I mean, we're going to need like seven episodes to really go deep on this. Yeah, but you know, it starts with a few things. One is just education. We as parents and caregivers need to be educated on the realities of what is happening to children today uh, and how frequently it is happening. Then we need to take a deep breath and, and arm ourselves with the what to do. And that is having frequent, candid conversations about the toughest issues much earlier than you might think you need to with your children and at a more frequent rate because it's just so much more pervasive. We also need to continually remind our children that we're a safe place. You do not have to condone or agree with bad behavior, but letting your children know that if and when they make a mistake or something bad happens to them, you'll navigate it together, you'll help them get through it, and they don't need to be afraid to come to you. So many children do not come to their parents with the bad things that are happening to them in these things because they don't want to lose access or get punished or lose their form of entertainment. Makes total sense. So those candid conversations. Also, please, 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 please do not give your children unfiltered, unmonitored access to tech, whether it's the smart television in your home, the family iPad that your toddler might use, or children's smartphones. Hit up Google, Google whatever they can access, plus parental controls, and make sure you're implementing time limits, filters, and then as they get a little bit older, the monitoring piece is critical because Apple Screen Time, Google Family Link, none of those entities are going to find a danger and alert you as the parent to the danger. They don't want to get involved in that, which is why Bark exists. Whether it's our smartphone or our app, we're going to find the danger let you know about it, and then give you best recommended next steps for how to address. You know, it's interesting too that you said like starting with these parental controls and these monitoring um, opportunities is that you start young, right? On the iPad and then going into the smartphone. And normally as kids get older, you start to release the reins a little bit when they're learning new things. What I'm hearing a little bit is as they're getting older in this case, we tighten the reins a little bit more as they get older and they're starting to get in more of these spaces. Am I interpreting that correctly? Is that a good way to think about it? Or It really depends on the child. I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but like, you know, when they're younger and they ride a bike, you know, it's a bike helmet, right? Then they get older and they are driving a car. And then you're thinking about driver's education and insurance and seatbelts and don't drink and drive, you know? So you are in some ways, tightening the reins because they have more access. However, there's a flip side of that where there's balance and freedom. And because they are older and they do have more maturity and they will eventually leave the house, 
you can't clamp down too hard because you'll just push them away further and faster. So I'm not saying it's easy, but it definitely is a balance. And you have to prepare your children for that rocky road that lies ahead of them versus just remove every single boulder from their path. That's not the right way to do it. Well, that makes sense. You know, what for you was the most, I mean, you've worked at Bark now for eight years, so I'm sure you've seen some alarming things. What was the most surprising takeaway from you in this deep dive of data? You know, over the years, one of the most, the the most gut-wrenching thing for me that still remains is that every day at Bark, we're sending upwards of, you know, a hundred severe self-harm and suicidal ideation alerts to parents about their kids every single day. And that, that breaks my heart and we've got to do better there. The most infuriating thing for me that I've seen over the years is how quickly a child can be abused without ever having been in the same room uh, as the abuser, right? With predators. I got the chills. Yeah. Yes. That's, um, that it's not okay. And there's again, a whole nother episode we could devote to that. With this report, particularly uh, with our most recent findings, I actually had hope, you know, seeing that a lot of the trends are on a positive path with the exception of disordered eating. And that doesn't surprise me because we as a society have been spending so much time focused on cyberbullying, suicidal ideation, and predators. You know, it's like disordered eating kind of gets the back seat. Well, now we need to move it to the front seat because it is also killing our children. What what kind of disordered eating? What what content? What does that look like? Yeah, great great question. So it's anything from uh, we we talked about algorithms earlier, right? So if you you're in eighth grade and you've maybe put on a few pounds that because you're becoming a woman um, and that's totally normal, you might be a little afraid and search you know in TikTok how to lose weight fast. Well, now all of a sudden the TikTok algorithm wants to show you fitness influencers, which is great. Fitness is great. But again, it could lead down a dark path quickly of inaccurate ways to restrict calories when your body actually needs more calories because it's growing. Unhealthy means of losing weight with certain drinks or shakes or supplements that could harm you. And also visual representations of what sometimes an ideal body image should be. You know, again, back to the Cosmo magazine, if we couldn't get to the end of the magazine. And we just kept looking at pictures of six foot tall, hundred pound models with four inch thigh gaps. We would start to feel really bad about ourselves. So it's, it's that sort of information that is, is problematic for our children. And then the comparison trap aspect of it, developing bodies are different than developed bodies. And if you're constantly seeing these images that are probably filtered and airbrushed of what an ideal body image looks like, but you're like, how can I get there? And you literally almost kill yourself trying to get there. That's where our children are right now. It's heartbreaking. It really is. If there was one thing you could recommend for parents today, what would that be? One thing. I know. How about 15 things? Uh, Yeah, yeah. What would you put on the top of the list? Yeah, I'll do less than 15, but... um, (laughs) Okay. First thing I would say is just our children need love and compassion more than ever. We are disconnected more than ever. Our children are bearing the brunt of it because of the isolation they've received during their critical years of social nuance formation. So they need love and connection primarily in real life. If we can spend more time with each other in real life instead of behind screens, 
that is going to be good and healthy for everyone. Leaning into mental health education, because that directly correlates to physical health. Delay is the way, as my friend Chris McKenna of Protect Young Eyes says, you don't have to give your child access to XYZ and they don't need to have all the things all at once. So don't hesitate to delay. Your child will be fine if they have to wait a little bit longer than their peers to have access to what we know is, is harming them. And then you know, th- those candid conversations, remaining calm, talking about the hard things more frequently. And then when it is time, when it is time to give your child access, again, use parental controls, use filters, use monitoring. And then finally, it's so hard, right? Like you and I spend a lot of intentional time in this space um, and we're still struggling as parents. And to that point, there's a Facebook group called Parenting in a Tech World that I started a few years ago and now has over 440,000 parents in it. That is such a wonderful place for community and education where we can lean on each other because we're the first generation of parents parenting in a world like this, and we've got to figure it out together. And what an excellent point. We're going to put not only this study, more information on Bark, also that Facebook page on our website, wgme.com slash raising me to Tanya. This was eye-opening. It was fascinating. And really, frankly, just a pleasure to talk with you. I know, I know we're, we're dealing with a lot of the same things, like so many parents listening to this today. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it is not easy, but we can do hard things. We will get through this together and our children will be okay if they know that they are loved unconditionally. Well said. Thank you so much. Thank you. I got to tell you, I loved talking with Titania. Not only is she just a super cool lady, but so knowledgeable in this space. I actually have pages of takeaways and quotes from this episode. So we're just going to start with this because it did give me the chills and was sort of a, a holy cow kind of moment. And that is how quickly a child can be abused without ever having been in the same room as the abuser. It's so true. And it is all the more reason for us to be plugged in more, having those candid and really frequent, I think is the key word, conversations, even when we don't totally feel up for it, because, you know, I mean, come on, I get that that happens. It's like Titania said, we have got to keep reminding our kids that we're the safe place so that they do share what's going on and that they know we can navigate these difficult, hurtful, and really tricky situations together. By the way, side note, am I the only one who had no clue what kick is? Like, Wow, I'm so glad I do now. Finally, this is the point we started with. It's one I underlined and I wrote down word for word. We are the first generation of parents parenting in a world like this, and we have got to figure it out together. It is so true, and it is why we are here and doing what we're doing with Raising Me. Thank you for listening. I'm Adrienne Stein. This episode is edited by Megan Littlefield and produced with Nate Eldridge. Please take a moment to follow Raising Me wherever you get your podcast. And of course, a positive rating and review really helps to spread this message so others can find it. Wherever you are, I hope you learned something new and get to take a little time for you. <laughs> <laughs>